This morning we come out of Hosea for one sermon so that we can look at what God has to say about an event that is a significant event in the life of any fellowship of believers, and that is setting aside a man for the deacon ministry. And I know that in some churches I have already stirred controversy with just that introduction. We want to be a people of the book. We want to order our life by the book. There is a principle within theology known as the regulative principle. Our Presbyterian friends used to be fairly rigidly guided by the uh, uh, regulative principle. And the regular principle simply states that if we do not find something in Scripture, then we are free to do as we wish, okay, within the church. If the Scripture doesn't make something abundantly clear. Now, some look at that regular principle from two sides. They say, if Scripture doesn't forbid it, then we are free to do whatever we wish. But others say, if Scripture does not prescribe it, then we can't do it. Okay? And so, as Baptists, we all fit within that regulative principle. And we want to make sure that as we select leadership within our church, within our fellowship, that it is in line, listen to me, not with the Baptist faith and message. That is an important document, but it does or it does not mean anything in the life of this fellowship. We are free to, to govern this fellowship by the Baptist faith and message, or we are free to say that document does not express who we are as a body of believers. We want to make sure that as we elect someone to be within pastoral leadership or within the deacon ministry, that it is in line with what Scripture says. And so we're going to look at the seminal Deacon election, the very first election of deacons within the New Testament church. And then we're going to go and look at the text that all of us uh, probably are very familiar with from 1 Timothy 3, where Paul lays out the qualifications for a person that is going to be in the deacon ministry. So uh, we're going to read this morning Acts 6. Verses 3, <coughs> excuse me, through 7, and then 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. And so in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's all stand as we read Acts at, at 6, verses 3 through 7. I'll tell you what, let's just back up so we've got the whole context and begin reading in verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. 
So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval within the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they led their, or laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word. And God, as we begin to read your perfect and infallible word, we just ask, O oh God, that you would open our hearts and minds. And Father, as a body of believers, we understand that we are about to embark on one of the most serious things that we can do as a fellowship of believers. And so God, we just ask that you would lay the name of the, of the man you want to be the next deacon at this church on the heart of everybody in this room this morning. God, we pray that you would speak to us out of your word as we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Obviously, it, it, it is a natural thing within the life of the church that there be order. And, you know, Paul, in, in his writings... I mean, we could go off on some of the things that Paul talked about to the church at Corinth, that they had gotten kind of out of hand with their speaking in tongues. And Paul, in fact, says to the Corinthians, God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order, and he's telling them how to order their worship services in a way that honors God. And in this text that Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, he is, he's right, listen, if you're of a certain age and, and a preacher boy, uh, Angie probably knows where this book is in my library. There is a book that was written by W.A. Criswell. Show of hands. Who, who in this room knows who W.A. Criswell was? Okay. See? You have to be about my W.A. Criswell used to be the pastor of First Baptist Dallas, was a very influential man of God in that area and within the Southern Baptist Convention as well. 
Okay. Dr. Criswell and, and Dr. Rogers, Adrian Rogers, okay. Everybody know who Adrian was? Yeah. Okay. They were masters of alliteration. I mean, literally, you could give Dr. Criswell this text, and he would come up with three rhyming points and a poem just like that and, and be able to preach it. But I've got a, a, a book from him that every young preacher boy of, of my generation would make sure that they had in their library, and it's basically uh, a manual for how to do this. Okay, how, you know, what do you need to do at a funeral? What words do you say? How do you conduct a wedding? Okay, y'all understand there was not a class at seminary, Wedding 101, okay? There was not a class where they taught us how to do weddings. There was not a class where they taught us how to do a funeral or a class on, on how to do... That would be an amazing class, wouldn't it? I mean, just the mechanics of being a minister of the Word of God to prepare men for... Anyway. The point of all of this is that Paul is writing, this is what we call one of his pastoral letters because it's not addressed to a church as much as it's addressed to a man, a pastor, a man who's serving in pastoral leadership in a church that is very difficult to pastor, okay? Timothy is serving at Ephesus and and there's a, a, a lot of difficulty there and... and <laughs> Timothy lives in a very cosmopolitan city. Now, I know in our world that cosmopolitan is the greatest compliment that you can give to a city, right? People will say, oh, we're, we, you know, we live in a very diverse and, and we've got, you know, a, instead of a Baptist church on every corner, we've got a Starbucks on every corner. Okay, that's supposed to be the, you know, the, the mark that you've arrived. Timothy is trying to minister in that situation. And there obviously is a need. I mean, two months ago, unless we were going through First Timothy, would it have made sense uh, for me to have preached this text two months ago? Y'all have been going. What up with that? Why, why was he in Hosea and then all of a sudden he's in Timothy this morning? I, I don't understand. Okay. So the reason that we're preaching that this morning is because there's a need in this fellowship for us to know what the Word says about this. So we can presume, presume that there is a need within the church at Ephesus that Timothy is pastoring for Paul to devote this section of his letter to Timothy to help him choose the man that God has called to be a deacon. And I hope what you saw in Acts and in 1 Timothy, that God has called deacons to be servants of the church. That's their ministry and that's their role. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to read what the our Constitution says about the election of a deacon, and then at the end we're going to talk about what the Baptist faith and message says. Our Constitution says, Deacons shall be elected in a regular business meeting of the church after prior investigation and recommendation of a special nomination committee elected by the church for that purpose. 
Deacons shall be selected from among those members whose qualifications shall be sound moral character, active supporters of the entire church program, members of Concord Baptist Church for one year. Whenever a vacancy occurs, the church shall take necessary steps in filling that vacancy. The deacons shall regard themselves as servants of the church. They shall assist the pastor in his duties and maintain an oversight of the general welfare of the church. They shall seek the approval of the church in any proposed expenditure of money or change of property. All right, so that's what our Constitution says about uh, the person that will be the next deacon. Now, let me just clarify. We're going to make this a, a little bit more, uh, a little clearer at the end of our message when we talk about what the Baptist faith and message says about this. But you've heard me say several times that, that, that I believe the Bible very clearly teaches that those within pastoral leadership, the senior pastor of the church, and the deacon ministry must be males. And because it's 2022, they must be biological males. Okay? The gender assigned to them at birth. And let me say to you, it wasn't assigned at birth. It was assigned by God. All right? The moment the sperm and the egg came together, it was determined. But that's a whole other sermon. I don't say that to hurt or offend anyone. I am not, I'm going to use a fancy word, I'm not a misogynist. I'm not a member of the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Okay? I don't. I recognize and celebrate the ministry of the ladies within our fellowship. And, you know, I remember when I was in my undergraduate work, I was generally the oldest man in the class. And, and I would hear some of these young, wet-behind-the-ear pups about what they were going to do when they became a pastor in the church and, and, and some of the things that they were going to say and do to the women. I said, Brother, you might want to pray about that. All right? Because you tick them off, you ain't going to have a church to pastor. Okay? Because nothing's going to get done and you're not going to have that ministry. Listen, women excel in, in ministries within the church. And so what I want the ladies especially to hear me saying is that I am not saying there is no place of ministry within the body of Christ for females. There is. We studied a lady in our Sunday school lesson this morning, Hall to the Prophetess. And we said from that, by the fact that the writer of, of our text was so specific in, a, in identifying this, I mean, he even gave her address, okay? He gave Hulda's address, which would lead us to believe that there may have been more than one Hulda that was a prophetess, okay? And, and he just kind of mentioned it as it's normal, that there was a prophetess within the church. Men. Let me clue you in. God also speaks to women. Okay? He does. God speaks to women. He probably speaks better than, than, than we do. Well, I know he speaks better than we do. Okay? And, and, and here's the problem. They listen to him. Okay? They listen to what he has to say about his word. Anyway, let's move on. 
So in Acts, we learn why the first deacons were called. Now, here's the situation. <coughs> it hasn't been long since Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay? And so we know that, I mean, we're only in Acts chapter 6. And we know that the ascension was in Acts chapter 1. And then in Acts chapter 2, we've got, you know, Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 3, and in Acts chapter 4, Peter preaches his sermon before the Sanhedrin. And, 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 I mean, it's been a whirlwind since Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay? It's been like a Billy Graham and a Greg Laurie uh, a crusade all rolled into one in one town and it's just God is just moving that every time you know the apostles just kind of walk up and say would you like to know Jesus and they do and they repent they're baptized and the apostles are working themselves silly and then the church gets together okay and and we know listen we know that first Baptist Jerusalem okay y'all know I'm kidding right but First Baptist Jerusalem had at least 3,000 members. At least. Probably more, but they had at least 3,000 members. Now, the, the, the apostles are going around and they're serving these people in a communal meal. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. When we get together in, in a few months for Christmas, all right, and we get ready to sit down and eat... How would you like it if I went and got your food and brought it to you individually? You, you, you know, you'd be starved. You'd be starved before I was able to get that food to everybody in the room. And that's the situation we have here. We've got 12 men that are trying to serve thousands of people. And the apostles are going, have you ever heard somebody say, I've been so busy, uh, I, I didn't even have time to pray? Well, if you're that busy, you're too busy. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. But if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. You need to take time to pray. And that's not just a cute bumper sticker. That's sound theology. Take time to pray. But the disciples say, look, you know, we are not having time to do what God called us to do and what we're most effective at. You know, sometimes at work, my boss will get upset with me because I'm doing something myself that I should have asked somebody else on the team to do so that I could devote my time and my talents to the things that my time and my talents are best spent doing. Okay? And that's exactly what's going on here. Is that the disciples don't have time to study the Word. Even in the early church, the proclamation of the Word of God was central. It was key. And so they decide that we need to get this group of men and, and appoint them to work alongside of us and to take this load of ministry off of us so that we can minister the Word and be in prayer. And they did. And you see those seven men they called out. First one on the list paid for his confession with his life. He was stoned because of 
his love for Jesus. And I want you to look what happened, verse 7. The Word of God kept on spreading. Okay? The Word of God kept on spreading because these seven men were able to minister more directly to the, the direct physical needs of the congregation. And it freed the apostles, the receptors of the Word of God, to be able to go out and proclaim the Word of God. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. You understand how serious this is, beloved? I mean, the apostles are able to go into the temple. They're able to go and minister to the priest. And they're able, as they are filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? This is one of those passages you miss it if you blink. Priest, educated men, okay? We're, we're saying seminary trained men. Peter and the rest of the apostles, they were bivocational pastors, okay? They had started out in, in the trades. They were tradesmen. And then a funny thing happened. They met Jesus one day, and that changed everything. And, and, and Jesus told them, he said, guys, here's what I need you to do. When, when he ascended, right, in Acts 1-8, you will receive power. And so he said, guys, here's what I need you to do. I need you to stay here and get yourself all prayed up. And then the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, move out. Move out and begin in Jerusalem and then Judea. And then don't forget our brothers and sisters in Samaria. And then go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they did exactly that. And these 12 simple men who had begun life as tradesmen now filled with the Holy Spirit are able to effectively communicate the truth of the gospel to seminary trained men and lead them to faith in Jesus. Something those men never thought they would do. Okay? So the whole point of that is that don't ever discount the Holy Spirit. First Timothy 3. Now, before we go, there are several words that are used in the New Testament for deacon. Uh, the most common are diakonos and diakonia. Now, it might surprise you to know the word simply means servant. Okay? If y'all go out this afternoon or this evening after the morning service, some of y'all got that. Okay? If y'all go out this evening after the morning service and you go to a sit-down restaurant, a diakonia is going to come and ask what you'd like to have. A servant. That's simply what the word means. It's a servant. And so most of the time throughout the New Testament, that word diakonia is simply meant to refer to a servant, as in Luke 10, verse 40, where we see uh, it's talking about Martha. And it says, Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the diakonia alone? Then tell her to help me. Now, for those that argue that, you know, that this word can mean something other than what it clearly means, 
The one they love to run to is Romans 16.1. It's not in my notes. Don't freak. Okay? In Romans 16.1, we're, we're told about Phoebe, right? Phoebe the deaconess. Well, that word is diakonia, and that exact same word is applied to Jesus in the Gospels. And so it would seem to me to be very clear that Paul is not calling Phoebe what you and I would call a deacon within a local uh, body of believers. That he's simply recognizing her as a servant within the church. Okay? He's applying that very generic word. Okay? It would, it, it, it would be kind of like uh, us using the word, I don't know, shepherd. Pretty common word. Pretty common word, especially in our area of, of the county. To use that word shepherd to refer to a pastor. Anyway. Six of the nine characteristics that Paul points out about deacons also uh, directly parallel those of overseers. And so what Paul is saying here is that he's saying that these men that God has called to these positions of ministry and leadership within the, the body of believers is that they should be examples, exemplars, of what it means to be a man of God. He says that they ought to hold the, the deep truths of the faith. They ought to understand essential Bible doctrine. It ought to be more that if somebody says, oh, you're a Southern Baptist deacon. I've always wondered, why do you all baptize by immersion? We ought to be able to give a better answer than because we've always done it that way. Okay? We ought to be able to give them an answer out of Scripture that explains why we do it that way. Because those that serve in this ministry understand Scripture. They have more than head knowledge of Scripture. They're able to apply it. They have a clear conscience. Man, I struggled with this one. I was the youngest deacon ever elected at our home church. And, and I hadn't been out of, of my youth that long when, when I was called to be a deacon at that church. A clear conscience. He's a man who believes every word that he says. He's tested, not a novice or a brand new Christian. He's free from accusation. No accusation can successfully be brought against him. Husband of one wife. Now, we're going to look at that again in just a moment. But for those that would say that this could be anyone, I, I, you're doing great violence to the text. If you try to make it say anything other than a one-woman man. And then Paul lays out two rewards for faithful deacons. They gain an excellent standing. They have the respect of the entire congregation. And they have great assurance in their faith. As men serve faithfully as deacons, while in the process of their service, the advance, their boldness of, in the gospel grows. 
They have new opportunities to speak of Christ that arise due to their service. The standards for a deacon are set very high because the servant work of a deacon is a high-profile ministry that requires spiritual maturity. Being a deacon is a high calling because it means becoming more like Jesus Christ himself. And the deacon spirit should manifest itself in all of our service for Christ. Now let me close, as I said I would, by quoting what the Baptist faith and message says. This has become a rather contentious subject, not just within the Southern Baptists or within the, 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 the Christendom as a whole, but specifically within the Southern Baptist Convention. The latest version of the Baptist faith and message says, A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel. Observing the two ordinances of Christ, governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. Now, notice the Baptist faith and message does not address the ordination of women as deacons. And there are even some very high-profile Southern Baptist people at Southern Seminary that believe that we should be ordaining female deacons. And they give the reason as verse 11 where they say women must likewise be dignified. Okay. I know I'm somewhat scatterbrained, especially when I'm writing. But if I'm writing about men, and then all of a sudden in the middle I chase a squirrel and then come right back to writing about men, does that make sense? Why would Paul, knowing what we know about Paul, Paul doesn't chase squirrels. Why would Paul do that? especially in light of what he said in 1 Timothy 2 and in, in leading up to this, and especially in light of literally the very next verse literally says, servants, let be of one woman, man. Literally in Greek, that's what it says. And so they will say that the Bible is silent on this. That's the a fallacy known as the, the argument from silence. And we should never try to prove something in an argument from silence. And so Scripture is very clear about who can serve within the deacon ministry. And so we ought to pray for those who serve in the church. They deserve our highest respect. We see from these texts that God sets a very high standard for those who lead the church. We see that a deacon will not be perfect, but he must be a man who will lead the church by instruction and example according to God's word. And there's truth for all of us in these words. Let us give ourselves to becoming the people that God wants us to be. Before we stand and sing our song of invitation, I just want to lead us in a prayer for the, the man that God has within this body of believers 
that he wants to be the next deacon. So let's go to God in prayer. Father God, what a honor it is to be called by you and to be entrusted with decisions of this nature. And so, Father, we just pray that you would speak very clearly to every person within this body of believers who you would have to be the next deacon within this fellowship. And Father, we just pray that, that you would make it abundantly clear and that his ministry would just be would just be so amazing that people would give honor and glory to you and to you alone. Father, we would be mindful that we are also not only praying for that man, but we're praying for his wife as well. Because, Lord, she will have a ministry alongside of him. And we just pray, Father, that you would honor and glorify yourself through what you're going to do in calling this man to be a deacon. And, God, we would be remiss if we didn't lift before you Brother John as our new deacon chair and just ask that under his leadership that you would continue the great ministry that our deacons have enjoyed for so many years and that you would continue to do great things in and through this body of believers. God, we love you with all of our soul and we trust you with all of our heart and we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer in and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen.